Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Court Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme. And yesterday was certainly a day when energy costs seemed to very much dominate the political agenda. And in the papers today, there are some store individual stories of older people with massively high electricity uh, bills. Uh, for example, there's a pensioner from County Mead who's decided to go public after he received what he believes is the world's, it, 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 it's his domestic electricity bill. He reckons it is the highest in the world. I don't, I don't know if it is, but he's so shocked by his electricity bill he's gone public and he's also saying he's refusing to play it. He's a gentleman by the name of Jerry Clark. He's a 77-year-old. He lives in a rural house in a place called Robertstown. It's just outside of Navan. Now, he doesn't live on his own. His son and daughter-in-law also live. So three adults living in the house. He, uh, the, he, he's an Electric Ireland customer and he said his bill for this time last year, now the, the, bearing in mind this time last year, it would have been just before the really, that the, the bills would have been going up this time last year, but certainly not as high as they are today. But anyway, his bill for this time last year was €290. Euro. Now, he was, he was expecting that the bill would be higher because, of course, he was hearing about all of the different increases and, of course, Electric Ireland would have put up their bills twice across last year so he was expecting it to be a little bit more but from 290 euro the bill he received this week is wait for this a jaw dropping 1,678 euro and 65 cent and it's from the period from the 9th of December to the 10th of February so all was probably his most expensive bill most expensive bill for most householders because it takes you right throughout December across the Christmas period and then throughout the full month of January and he's gone just a week into uh, February he said at the start of December his bill had come in for the previous uh, two months and he was already in shock at that bill. That bill stood at €671 and his bill for the previous two months had been at €483. So he knew his bills were going up but to to go up from the last bill by an extra €1,000 to €1,678 really, I don't know if I've come across any other householder who has seen that much of a, a drop. Now, he doesn't use electricity to heat his home. He has oil-fired central heating. So his electricity is mainly used 
for, you know, lighting, for the general appliances around the house, his house. And he does have a water pump. Now, he does keep horses and he uses what is called a horse walker machine for his animals. But he says he hasn't switched that on for the last 15 years. So he said that can't account for the sudden surge in his electricity uh, bill. He says he's scratching his head because he said nothing really has changed. They haven't been excessively using electricity in his house. Now, as he says, he does live with his adult son and his his wife, his daughter-in-law. But he said most of the week they're away. They're out at work every day, all uh, day. And he said during the daytime, he keeps keeps himself busy outside doing kind of odd jobs. So he says he's not in the house with, you know, excessive electricity being uh, used. He showed it to his son, Gerald. His his son, Gerald, says he can't understand it uh, either. He said, you know, nobody's in the house for most of uh, the day. So he decided to get on to Electric Ireland on Tuesday when his bill arrived. He spent 45 minutes on the phone with the team. He says he is not in a position to pay the bill and he simply says he is going to uh, fight it to the nail. So that's one gentleman fighting his bill. And then there was another story that's been highlighted in the papers and this actually got mentioned in the Dáil yesterday. This is a hundred year old woman who was left totally got gobsmacked when she received her electricity uh, bill for 957 euros. So nearly a thousand euro for a hundred year old woman who appears to be living on her own. Now the woman is just going by the name of Kitty. She's from County Meads. She's also an Electric Ireland uh, customer and her bill is similar to the bill for the for the period that Jerry is talking about. Her bill was from the 7th of December to the 3rd of February. So again, just a little over or a little under a two month period actually for poor old Kitty. And it's her her nephew, Frank, who's gone public with Kitty's story saying he he simply is unsure how his aunt will be able to, to pay this uh, bill unless she cuts back on other items in uh, the house. He said she's never had a bill of this magnitude before. Now, what how what is she using? You know, what's what, what excessive electricity is she using? The nephew said she's got a fridge and a washing machine. She does have an immersion heater. She's a television and she has a small blow heater that comes on for about an hour a day. That's on a timer. She heats the Her main heat is through a big open fire and that's all that she uses. Previously, Kitty has had bills that were 430 euro but no, never anything like this close to a thousand euro. She lives on, on a pension of 200 euro a week. The nephew said it's unbelievable that a bill could come to that even given the price increases and even given what's happening in Ukraine. He said how could anyone expect a woman of 100 years li- living on 200 euro a week how can anyone expect her to pay that kind of money? He said he can't get his head around it. He's totally gobsmacked. So on behalf of his 100 year old and the nephew got on to Electric Ireland and said, look, she's got this massive bill. She's living on 200 euro a week. How is she expected uh, to pay it? And the company said that Kitty could pay it in 10 weekly instalments. So she's going to have to come up with 95 euro every week for the next 10 weeks, which will mean that she'll then be living on 105 euro a week to pay for everything else. She'll have to have, I mean, an open fire. I take it it's coal and 
blocks and things and maybe some briquettes she's going to pay for those she is going to have to pay for her food you know her toiletries all her other bits and pieces that she needs uh, to pay so that was their answer she can pay it in 10 weekly uh, in uh, installments and uh, and of course this is all while this is all coming out this week, this is also coming out on the week that uh, St Vincent de Paul has uh, come out very strongly and they've carried out their own research and they have found that 377,000 people are living in homes that they are simply not able to uh, heat. And they, when they compare that with a figure from 2021, the figure then was 160,000. It was already high in uh, 2021, but it is more than doubled in 2022 and Vincent de Paul are pointing out that keeping warm is a basic human need and behind every bill behind every disconnected prepaid meter our empty oil tank is a person trying to cope with the stress and strain of keeping their home warm and the lights uh, switched on. And all of this was raised uh, in the Dáil uh, yesterday and now obviously further calls on the government to do something. But in particular, they need to start dealing with the energy companies who are making massive profits off the back of pensioners like the two I've highlighted there and indeed other hi- other households. Now, Leo Varadkar, as I say, it was spoken about in the Dáil yesterday and he admitted in the Dáil that he has heard of incidents of people, he's from some of his own constituents who are receiving extremely high bills and unfortunately he says there is another high bill on the way in another two months time electricity costs have not gone down he says the next step now is the introduction of a windfall tax so that can take back so that the government can take back some of the profits that the energy companies are making and then try to give it back to the people to help them pay their bills and like when you think of those two elderly pensioners the one with their one, you know, 1,600 odd and then for old Kitty with her her 1,000 euro and even allowing for the 200 euro credit that was given, it's still going nowhere near covering the cost of uh, those bills. And yet again, we have Leo Varadkar in the Dáil talking about a windfall tax. He has to stop talking about it and he needs to do something about it. Okay, I need to take a very quick commercial break and then we are back chatting with the new leader of the Social Democrats political party and that is our own Deputy Holly Kearns. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Cork South West Deputy Holly Kearns became the leader of the Social Democrats and she hit the ground running by taking on the Taoiseach for the first time at Leaders' Questions. Delighted to say the Deputy Holly Kearns joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Holly. Patricia. Well, congratulations uh, to you first and foremost. And, and the obvious question, was it a difficult or an easy decision for you to make to put yourself forward as leader? It was a difficult decision to make, I suppose, because I never thought that I would go for it. I never saw myself as the leader of a political party. Um, but I suppose in looking back on the last four years in politics, I never thought that I'd be a county councillor either. I never thought that I'd be a TD. And the reason that I decided to go for it and to give it my absolute everything now is that I really feel like this is the time in Irish politics when the tide is turning. And I think we can all feel that change happening, the shift from civil war 
parties dominating to people looking for something new and more progressive to vote for. And I did say when I made my first leaders address yesterday, um, not the leaders questions after that, but that like, how did I get here? You know, and I could pinpoint that back to the first time I knocked on a door in Skibreen and that was for the Together for Yes referendum. Mm. And I remember the first door I knocked on, there was a woman probably in her 70s and she was saying, I don't think I'm going to vote because I just don't know. You know, it's too complex. It's too difficult. And having that open, honest conversation with her, by the end of it, she was a firm yes. And that's when I just realised that there's so many people out there who would like something more progressive to vote for. We need to be able to have open conversations about politics and political choices. And there's a very good chance that when people are offered that, that they'll take it. And I had a feeling then, Patricia, and I knew from marriage equality as well, that people wanted something more inclusive, more fair, more open-minded, all of these things. But we've never really had that option to vote for, for example, in Cork Southwest. That is the case all over the country. And I suppose as somebody who didn't go into politics that long ago, that I was one of those people listening to the radio, watching the TV, thinking, what? Are those politicians talking about that <laughs> I hope I'm well placed as the leader of the Social Democrats to reach people who like me might not have seen themselves even as somebody who would go out and vote I yeah, want to talk because, to those people and reach out to them you know and I mean everyone obviously is picking up on on the point that you are now the the youngest leader uh, in the doll but do you hope with that that your leadership role will help other young people and in particular young females to maybe consider politics I really hope that it does. We desperately need more women in politics. Um, you know, in Cork, for example, I'm the, the only female TD. But as well as like young representation, we need all different types of representation. You know, like I sit on the Disability Matters Committee here in the Dáil. And there's, as far as I know, there's no disabled people there making kind of suggestions about policy making. Like that's an ingredient for making a flawed policy. We need more representation in general. And as well as being the youngest party leader now, Patricia, I'm also the only rural leader of a political party in the country. And I think that representation is important as well, you know. Yeah, but we, of course we have in recent months seen female leaders like um, uh, Jacinta Ardan um, and Nicola Sturgeon both step down and neither of them played down the damage that was caused by the non-stop uh, online neg- negativity. And then uh, just this week, Sinn Féin's Leonie Rieda, you know, saying she's glad to be leaving what she described as the vicious game of uh, politics. It isn't yeah. an easy profession for a female it really isn't. And there's barriers for women getting into politics before they even get to that stage as well. You know, like I remember being at uh, when I was on Cork County Council, there was a, an event in the UCC Politics Society and they'd invited all of the female representatives in Cork along. And at the time, there was only one female TD in Cork as well. And that was Margaret Murphy O'Mahony. And then there was um, a few of us female councillors and everyone kind of was asked, how did they get into politics? And it was just like a survey of that particular snapshot of female politicians. Every single one of us, bar one, had to be kind of asked and a little bit pushed into it. Not pushed, but, you know, really encouraged and asked. It's like women don't tend to, it seems, see themselves as politicians are going into politics. And like that's before you even get there and then experience the kind of online abuse. And I suppose like it is an issue for both men and women in politics, the online abuse. It's just very different. Um, the kind of nature of it. 
when it's yeah. targeted at women. Yeah, know? because I, I mean, I heard your, your speech to the, the Social Democrats uh, yesterday. I, I watched it um, uh, online and you're, and you're very much trying to attract new members and, and possible candidates to the Social Democrats. I mean, that was really part of your message yesterday. 100%. I am so ambitious about the future of the party. I think that lots of people are looking for an alternative to vote for at this exact time. And I'm really determined to try and offer as many people a social democratic option as possible. And the first thing we need to do there is recruit more people. You know, obviously candidates is key. Voters are key. Door knockers are key. Campaign managers are key. You know, there's all of the different people involved, like even in the last 24 hours I'm getting so many congratulations. Those congratulations need to be directed at, you know, my team is Claire, Richard, Tara, Pamela, all of these people who've done so much work uh, to get us to where we are today. You know, So we need all of those people, including candidates, because basically, Patricia, the aim for me as the leader of the Social Democrats now is I really want to go into government, you know. I didn't go into politics to go into opposition. I want to introduce social democratic policies. But you know yourself, when you've got a small number of TDs and you try to go into government, oftentimes you don't have the critical mass to get your policies over the line. So I really want to build so we have a strong impact in government. We don't want to go in a small party to make up the numbers kind of for the sake of going into government only want to go in if we can implement those policies and I think I have a real job to do as well in for one recruiting people to vote to canvas to stand for election but also to communicate to people to your listeners to everyone all over the country about what social democracy is and what we would do differently that's a really important thing to get across because that's why I say that I I feel I'm well placed to try and reach those people because it's not that long ago that I didn't know all of those things about politics and oftentimes when you tune into political debates, it's really specific, it's detailed, it's a story of the day. And we're not zooming out and thinking, what policies are we voting for? It's kind of often based on other things, like I know this individual, so I want to vote for them. Um, I don't like this party, so I'm going to vote for this party. We need to look at like policies and how they impact on our lives. Um, and I don't know how much time we have, but I wouldn't mind <laughs> if this time I'd like to explain briefly what social democracy is. Yeah, please do. So I think one of the things that often a lot of people don't necessarily think about or know about, understandably, because they haven't studied politics and they're going about their day and they're busy, is the difference between the kind of left and right spectrum. And one of the questions I've asked a lot of the last few days is, would you go into government, wouldn't you go into government? And our doors open, but I would drive a very hard bargain. Like, But it would be obviously hard, easier to go in with some parties than others. And to give an example to your listeners, the Social Democrats are left of centre. So we believe that when the market fails, that the state should intervene to protect people who live in that state. So we don't believe that the privatisation of public services is a responsible way to look after the people who live in the country. So, for example, healthcare, housing, all of these things being privatised and leaving it up to the private market, we don't believe is a, is a good way to run the country because the private market doesn't have a social contract with the people in the country. The state has that. So we think there should be more intervention from the state to make sure that there's a kind of a floor beneath which people can't fall below. And every party obviously has a floor, but it's how low do you want that floor to be? 
So basic fundamental principle, for example, social democracy is obviously Roisin Shortall, um, former co-leader with Catherine Murphy, was the architect of the sponsor care policy to provide universal health care. And that's to make sure that regardless of how deep your pockets are, you can access healthcare, that no child will be more or less entitled to it than the other. And people will say to me rightly, how do you expect to pay for these things? If you think that the state should intervene more and provide more services, how can they pay for it? And using healthcare as the example, Ireland spends more per capita on health than most countries in Western Europe. And we are the only one, the only one that doesn't have a universal healthcare system. Yeah, and, and so it's, it's how, how that money, money is spent. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it's how exactly. that money is spent. And to, but talking about going into to government, I saw people before profit had written uh, to you, now leader of the Social Democrats and, and other uh, left-wing uh, parties, to consider forming a government after the next election. Have you thought about that? Is that something you've considered? Yesterday was such a busy day, I haven't had a chance to actually look at the text of the letter from Solidarity People for Profit. But like I said, you know, we'd be open to talking to all parties about forming a government. And I think that that normally happens after the election rather than before it. But I suppose what Solidarity are getting at is that they want to kind of um, have a left government and that there's kind of power numbers there. And I think, look, I'm not going to go into a pact with any party. I'm ambitious about the future of the Social Democrats. But I do think that the Vote Left, Transfer Left campaign was effective in the last election to try and spur on the kind of change we want. But there is, you know, differences in the different parties on the left as well. But I think that that kind of a pact is very useful and it's helpful for uh, people who are voting to understand what the different left and right parties are. Um, and, and if they want to know which side they want their vote to fall on. Um, but we wouldn't be going into any kind of a pact. But I'm not sure what the exact and, and the other one, just to, to, to get it out there, and I know you're sick of being asked this, and other Social Democrats are sick of being asked this, uh, the um, ongoing talk about aligning or joining up with Labour, you're completely rooting that out. I am. I think that the most important commodity in politics is trust. And I think that we as a party and me now as the leader need to build people's trust. We have to earn it and we have to keep it by rigidly sticking to our commitments. And I think that when the Labour Party were in government, they broke that trust with many people. And I don't think that they've managed to recover from that. And, you know, I certainly have no intention of going in as leader of the Social Democrats and bringing us into the past. You know, we're we're moving forward. We in the local elections, after the party was in existence for four years, we got 21 councillors. A year later, we got six TDs, trebled the number of TDs. Um, we're really ambitious about the future of the Social Democrats, and that future doesn't include a merger with any party. OK, and it's, I, I'm assuming it's way too early for you to say how many uh, councillors you would hope to have elected in next year's local elections, how many TDs the following year for the general election? Yeah, I think I'm... I'm not 24 hours in the job yet, yeah. but um, I mean, the thing is, is that I, I don't like it when politi politicians are often asked questions like this and it's like they try and talk around it. And I don't want to be one of those politicians who's like avoiding the question. The truth is, it's really hard to say an exact number of seats that we're targeting at the moment because we have to see how the next year goes before the local election. So I'm putting that message out there now that I want to reach people. I want to reach future candidates and future canvassers. And we need to see how that goes and see how many you know candidates we can get on the ticket and 
I'm just not going to pretend to people that I, I know how that will go at the moment. You know, I'm really ambitious and I'm really excited. And I know from my own experience in Cork Southwest how quickly it can happen when people are offered that alternative. So I say I'm unashamedly ambitious, but the truth is I don't have a particular number of seats in mind. We've got great councillors already who would be very well placed to take a seat. For example, we have Claire Claffey in Lee Shoffley. And I think she's the she was elected the only woman on Offaly County Council. Um, I can imagine there's a lot of people like me who are feeling quite unrepresented in, in uh, Lee Shoffley. And then there's people like Ronan Moore in Mead West, Elise O'Donovan in Limerick. We've got um, a new councillor in Waterford, Mary Roach, who's recently joined the party. She was an independent. So we're growing different ways all the time. And I just don't quite know how quickly we can grow in the other areas yet. But I hope that like Roisin and Catherine did when they started the Social Democrats, and like my team and I did in the locals and generals, we hope we can defy the odds coming up to the next election. OK, well, you're well known for that, certainly in Cork Southwest. Uh, listen, we really appreciate you taking time out on what is your first full day as leader of the Social Democrats. Uh, but Deputy Holly Kearns, um, thanks a million for joining us on the programme this morning. Thanks, Patricia. Um, Good morning that, to you. And that was Holly. I spoke with her before we came on air this morning because she had such a, a busy schedule, but she took time out uh, to talk to us uh, earlier. Independent uh, Councillor Declan Hurley in West Cork sending in a text saying, please pass on my best wishes to Holly Kearns in her new role as leader of the Sock Dems. A brave move, one to be admired, a breath of fresh air for the future of uh, politics. And that's Councillor Declan Hurley. Thank you for your text, Declan, to 0862 I started the programme by mentioning some really high electricity bills that are getting a lot of attention in the papers uh, today because uh, yesterday was certainly a day when there was a huge amount of focus on energy costs and it seems to, it seemed to dominate the political agenda uh, yesterday and some pensioners coming forward just talking about their, you know they don't know how they're going to pay these bills. One uh, pensioner in County Meath getting a electricity uh, bill of one over 1600 euro and this poor lady Kitty from County Meath who uh, also, also in County Meath yeah, she has an electricity bill of almost a thousand euro and she's living on 200 euro a week that's prompted some texts in from listeners uh, to say Kathleen says Hi Patricia I care for a lady she's an old age pensioner her electricity bill was over 600 euro she's a customer with Airtricity and the 600 euro was after the 200 euro credit was taken off. This lady lives in a one bedroomed house. It's absolutely criminal, says uh, Kathleen. Uh, hi, Patricia. I'm uh, a customer with Electric Ireland. I received my gas bill, 645 euro. It has trebled uh, since I'm assuming this time last year and I'm trying now to pay it off every week with my visa card because I'm only living on a pension. I hardly use the gas at all. I don't have the heating on. I'll only switch it on if there's a forecast for a very frosty night because I'm fearful of burst water pipes. I can't understand, says Anne, how my gas bill has gone so high when I'm not even using and doesn't, isn't even using as much gas as she has normally used in previous years but there's a billion that has trebled and a Boher Bui listener says Patricia just wait until the first electricity bill comes in without the 200 euro electricity credit 
then the government will be having talks about having meetings, about having discussions on what to do. And at that point in time, it will all be uh, too late. Yeah, because I think everybody's getting high electricity bills, but the sting was taken out of it with the €200 Euro energy credit. And there's another €200 Euro energy credit to come in on the next bill. But that Bohabri listener is right. If electricity costs don't come down, then it's that first bill without the €200 Euro energy credit that's going to catch so many people. Fair Trade Ireland are warning that your morning cup of coffee, which many of us use to kickstart the day, could end up becoming too expensive for ordinary folk by the middle of this century. To explain more, I'm joined by Peter Gaynor, who is Executive Director of Fair Trade Ireland. Good morning to you, Peter. Morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. Is this all down to the effects of climate change? It is down to the effects of to the effects of climate change. Um, have we seen in, in all over our supermarkets in the last couple of years different things happening? Um, but for tropical commodities, for things like coffee and cocoa and bananas and other tropical commodities that grow around the the equator, they're really dependent on very specific uh, habitats and microclimates with particular humidity and particular uh, temperatures. And as we can see kind of changes in weather patterns due to climate change everywhere in the world, with with all of it, with typhoons and hurricanes and droughts, uh, it it is seriously impacting on farmers' abilities to, to farm the way they used to farm and to produce the same level of commodities like coffee. And are those so, are those farmers that you know who grow coffee beans? Yeah. Are they already experiencing serious challenges? Is that what you're telling us? Yes. Yeah, if you look at an example in, say, Kenya at the moment, in East Africa, Somalia, Kenya, uh, they're having their worst drought on record, uh, and that's having you know, really hideous effects on, on on human beings in that part of the world in terms of. Uh, people's lives and livelihoods, but also it's obviously got an impact on farmers' ability to grow coffee. 93% of coffee farmers in Kenya are already experiencing uh, the effects of climate change through the, through the experience of that kind of drought, which increasingly the trend is increasingly, you know, it seems attributable to humans' uh, emissions and climate change caused by the we've been living uh, for the last couple of centuries. Importantly, if you look at um, say, if you look at the causes of climate change, places in in the wealthy north, in Europe and other other wealthy countries, the the countries, developing countries, have only contributed something like eight percent of uh, carbon emissions since 1850, when the industrial revolution began, and the rest have been produced in Europe and North America. That's like 92 percent. But the people at the at the front of this are the people who live in the most volatile climates in the places where extreme weather, where they have extreme weather already, and just small increments on that extreme weather uh, are going to make their, their, their possibility to grow their crops uh, significantly more difficult. And, uh, and how, Peter, how are the farmers yeah. that you would be dealing with through fair trade, yeah. um, what are you hearing yeah. from them and, and how are they coping? Well, what they're what they're all trying to do is to ensure that they farm themselves more sustainably, that they are working in, in concert with the local environment, that they're allowing biodiversity to exist. They're not, they're not ruining their environment to grow coffee. 
So, you know, if you take coffee or cocoa in West Africa, they really depend on uh, forestry, on shade, on forestry for particular microclimates. And we, and we know that there's an awful lot of deforestation going on in the great rainforests, whether it's in Brazil or in West Africa. So what people are trying to do is to ensure that they themselves don't contribute any further to climate change, but also within their own within their own areas that they can create and maintain sustainable agriculture and forestry by not cutting down trees, mm. by allowing by allowing other crops, by diversifying, by not having micro or monocultures everywhere. That uh, means things are more vulnerable. So when you get stressed around the weather, then you get stressed around different pests and things that follow in the train of different weather cycles. So that they're, they're so, very much trying to, ha- to, to help themselves. Would it all help if we started to purchase more and more fair trade items? Absolutely. So supporting sustainable agriculture, supporting farmers who are themselves trying to live more sustainably through producing fair trade, organic, uh, sustainable coffees. If, if that's what they can do, what we can do is to support them uh, by buying fair trade, by encouraging others to buy fair trade. But also it's about holding our governments to account to some extent, like the wealthy countries in the north in Europe. When they brought in new regulations recently in Europe about, you know, having no deforestation in in the supply chain for products like coffee and cocoa, which is great. That's really good. We need that. We need that kind of market regulation to support more sustainability. But the bottom line is the, the governments need to ensure that the poorest people in supply chains, people living on between a dollar and two dollars a day in cocoa production in West Africa, that we're not expecting them to provide for all these improvements on the tiny incomes that they're able to get from the commodities they're growing. So Ireland and other countries in Europe need to support the global south because of the uh, because of the legacies. We need a just transition in climate. We need we need to pay for the loss and damage that other people are suffering whilst we were able to industrialise and develop in a way that they haven't been able to yet. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't cause it. That's the complete irony. We're already seeing shortages at the moment, uh, Peter, of, of yeah. certain fruit and vegetables, yeah, yeah. tomatoes and peppers and cucumbers. And, and we're told that's all down to this cold weather in Spain. I suppose the really you know, the interesting bit about that is that it is the cold weather in Spain and North Africa, and most of our food would come from that part of the world. Our vegetables would come from that part of the world, and there's a kind of season that moves from Spain and North Africa up into the Netherlands and polytunnels in Europe later in May. Um, but this year, because of you know a, a tighter and a colder spurt of weather at the moment in Spain and North Africa, the, the vegetables aren't growing now and they haven't, we're not ready yet in the Netherlands and other places uh, because of the energy crisis. So it's linking you know, different things, linking together the energy crisis with weather patterns. They're coming out of the COVID crisis, which led to all kinds of problems around logistics and shipping. Obviously, the Ukraine war is causing the inflation in energy and then in food. And climate uh, is you know, kind of running through all of that. So there's a very specific reason for the vegetables uh, not being on our shelves in, in countries like Ireland. But the same similar patterns. And that's just a that's just a drop in temperature um, mm. that that's caused those vegetables not to grow. That's going to happen everywhere. Yeah, it's, but this I mean, is just the start of yeah. what it's going to be like. 
this is the start yeah. of what it's going to be like and what we need to adapt. I think we're all, we all t- think that this thing is very far away time-wise and maybe very far away for other people. But I think we're seeing the front end of it coming, coming home to our supermarkets. And, it, you know, it's a it's a lesson for us all that very small changes can have huge impacts. And, and as a world, we need to wake up to what is the future of food? That is, I mean, and there's some really, Patricia, there's some really weird things happening out there in terms of, like, we've all heard of growing meat in laboratories. There are also people developing chocolate that won't have any cocoa in it. And we really need to think, like, do we want a future where we don't have farming and we don't have farmers and we don't have the people living in the countryside in, and, and move towards things like laboratory-grown food? That doesn't seem to be the most uh, sustainable, the most uh, in, in tune with nature or what most of us have come to expect from living in our world. Uh, mm. So it, it, as they're doing with meat, people are also looking at doing it. And uh, there are millions of people who depend on commodities for their, their very meagre livelihoods. And if they, if they can't have those because some of the other people are growing their, the, the commodities they're used to growing, that they're grown it in laboratories. They have no alternative. Uh, there, there's nothing else know? for them to, yeah. to turn to. Yeah. Okay, and, yeah. and it's it's timely that we're talking to you because I know we're in the middle of a fair trade fortnight. Yeah. Are we getting better, yeah. Peter, in Ireland to support the fair trade goods? I think we're, we're, we've a little done and we've an awful lot more to do. Um, yeah, we, we had a difficult time with COVID. A lot of things changed. People were closed down. Businesses were closed down. We're coming back, so we see some really good improvements uh, there's lots of good support from Irish companies. Um, people like Beauty's Insomnia doing 100% fair trade. So that's as good as it can go, really. Uh, but obviously, we need them to continue. We need more to follow that example. Some of the retailers are doing really well, but others could do a lot more. Uh, and if you know, if we're serious about it, this means not just occasionally buying a fair trade product, but means buying fair trade products all the time, searching them out and buying them on a regular basis uh, and encouraging our businesses where we work to support fair trade, local governments in their procurement and the government in their procurement practices. Uh, we need to make choices that support people who are growing food. And that, that doesn't matter whether it's Irish farmers or whether it's people in developing countries. They need to be paid. Yeah, if they're not paid, yeah. then they and, they and their children, why would they continue? Yeah, that's the challenge. Yeah, Give and we and we price. have we have a great example here in in Cork with uh, Clonakilty. They, they were not they the first ever fair trade town. Clonakilty yeah. first in Ireland, yeah. I think, in twenty oh three. Yeah, which is great, and they're having their anniversary in September. So they started a whole kind of. Uh, I think we went up to about fifty fair trade towns so far, and it's still growing. We still have towns in Donegal and Limerick who are catching up on you know, what Clonakilty did 20 years ago. So they're having their 20th anniversary, which is brilliant. Yeah, and those it, kind of community initiatives, like this isn't about um, certification, it isn't about something abstract. It's actually just about people um, making choices that help other people. Okay. Uh, and that, those kind of communities in Clonakilty, elsewhere in Cork and around the country, uh, they're the kind of the backbone of it. Um, we're a very small organisation. It only makes we can only work and help the thing to grow, and it is growing. But yeah. it needs it needs it needs to be led by ordinary people. There's a there's a talk I think happening in Cork during Fair Trade Fortnight out in UCC, and we have um, a guest from Innocent 
from Uganda, who's a tea producer, will be out in UCC at two, uh, two o'clock on the 9th of March. Okay. And people could t- contact the Students' Union there if they wanted to go along and hear a bit more. Yeah, and hear, hear, so, it, hear it firsthand, what, what it's like. Okay, yeah, listen, yeah. Um, Peter, continue good luck with the, the Fair Trade Fortnight and the great work that you do at Fair Trade um, Ireland. It's a great organisation. And thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is Peter Gaynor, who is Executive Director of Fair Trade Ireland. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Your comments are coming in. Can I just revert back to yesterday for a moment in an email that I got in? Unfortunately, I didn't get around to getting to it uh, yesterday. But it was to do with my interview with Magella Beatty of Care Champions, the Care Champions of the group that represent families who've got loved ones living in nursing homes or um, residential settings. And we had Magella on the programme yesterday because it was the third anniversary of the first case of COVID-19. And we wanted to talk around what we have learned uh, from COVID-19, but in particular what the government can learn when it comes to care of elderly people because we know, and I think everybody accepts now, they, while they were doing their best, we got things wrong when it came to the care of the elderly, particularly when it came to uh, nursing homes and how many people died in nursing homes. And I know there's an inquiry that uh, is going to kick off during the year and uh, some of the stories I think that are going to come out from that inquiry are going to be utterly and absolutely heartbreaking. And Magella very much works with with, uh, families who are trying to, trying to come to terms with the loss of a loved one who died during COVID times in a nursing home and in many times these elderly people died alone and that families are finding it very very hard uh, to deal with and with that in mind Alison contacted us to say I was listening to Magella Beatty on your programme yesterday and it was utterly heartbreaking. My beautiful mom died in a Cork hospital in January of 2021 after picking up COVID. I had never been informed that my mother had contracted COVID while in hospital until I rang the ward looking for her. I now have my mom's medical and non-medical files and the errors within these files are absolutely horrific. My beautiful mom pa- passed away without any family member with her. We need a public inquiry to help myself and many other heartbroken families get a little bit of closure. Thanks again to Magella Beatty and everyone at Care Champions for all their hard work. People's stories are horrendous. By the way, my mom loved listening to you on the radio. That's just so, so heartbreaking. And there's so many more stories uh, like that and so many more will come out uh, with that uh, inquiry. My heart breaks via May your beautiful, wonderful mother uh, rest in peace. It, re- it really is heartbreaking. Thank you for contacting us by email corktoday at c103.ie. You can always email us of course at any time. Now a number of, still getting some texts in about high electricity uh, bills and this is to do with more and more people now are starting to go a public on their own domestic electricity bills. For a period of time, it was businesses. A lot of the focus was on businesses because businesses had astronomical electricity bills. But now more and more people are getting very high gas and electricity bills, particularly people that are on a fixed income. And they're finding it very, very difficult to come up with the money. I mean, I'm still thinking of that 100-year-old woman, uh, Kitty, that was spoken about in the doll uh, yesterday with her bill of... Um, just under a thousand euro and Electric Ireland saying she can pay it off over 10 weeks and her pension is worth 200 euro so half the pension for the next 10 weeks has to go in just paying off this electricity bill 
I'm sure it'll be just paid off and the next electricity bill will be in and would she be back to square one again? Anyway, that's prompted a listener to say, hi Patricia, I'm an old age pensioner and my electricity bill came in at about €110. I've got a fridge, a dishwasher, a washing machine, a dryer. I have a heater in the bathroom and in the kitchen. I'm wondering, are these people not on a contract? Is their tariff too high? Why are their bills so high? By the way, my supplier is uh, Electric Ireland. I do turn everything off at the socket as soon as it's finished. So there's somebody who can't understand how pensioners living on their own can be running up such high electricity uh, bills. And certainly any of the ones that we focused on uh, this morning, it's not that they've got that they're leaving the immersion on all day or it's not that they've got electric heaters that are running 24-7. All of them are saying that they're not doing anything different and they're getting bills that are double and uh, triple. A Kerry listener says, Patricia, Heather Humphreys, the minister, told pensioners to stay warm and well during the cold, wet winter that we all endured. Also, the minister mentioned about the big changes to fuel allowance, particularly for the people over 70, that she said will assist some pensioners. But the sting in the tail for the fuel allowance is it's means-tested payment and therefore not everybody qualifies. So my bill was €723.54 less the €200. So there's another gas bill that was nearly at the one our electricity bill that was nearly at the €1,000. And that was based, by the way, on the actual reading. It wasn't even an estimated bill. It's not easy paying that demand in one lump sum lump sum on top of the local property tax which is also due later on uh, this uh, month and there's some McCary listener who is finding it hard and uh, struggling at the moment yeah it's it really is it it is tough tough going and as I say some people are being very frugal about their electricity and even with being frugal with their electricity some people are still saying that they're getting very very high bills indeed now another issue that came up yesterday that Michael wants to comment on and this is to do with with the, our new Chief Medical Officer, Prof- Professor uh, Breathe Smith, who came out yesterday. Michael says, I'm glad to hear that fresh message coming from Professor Breathe Smith, who said, who was saying to the older people, if you haven't returned to doing the things you love, then she's encouraging everyone to do so now. Uh, yes, says Michael, I agree wholeheartedly with her statement yesterday. The vast majority of older people have not yet returned to their normal lifestyle. They have not connected face to face with their friends. They have not gone back to their local pubs. Many of them have not even gone back to mass. They haven't gone back to bingo or social dancing or just going up to meet with other people. They still have this fear of COVID, almost forgetting that they're now fully vaccinated and the risk at the moment is very low, if any. It is far more damaging to their health than any COVID by staying inside, both mentally and physically, and living the life of a recluse. Patricia, where is the Minister for Older People? Where are all the older people's councils? They've been non-existent in all of this. It's an absolute disgrace. Never addressed one sentence towards older people during COVID times. They also have a lot of questions to answer. We should have a full minister for older people and not just a junior minister. The current setup is simply not suitable. We have a massive older population and we deserve a full minister thanking you says Michael and we have an ageing population and we're all living longer which is fantastic so while we have a massive older population 
in the next five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, we're going to even have more of that older population. So, yeah, maybe it is time to have a full minister for older people. But, you know, Professor Breda Smith uh, was right. Older people do need to get back on out and reconnect. And, you know, I like to think that a lot of people have taken that step and are back and are back doing all of the things that they did before COVID. But according to Michael, he reckons that a lot of people are still not going to mass. I don't know about is, is mass attendance down when it comes to uh, older people. And, uh, you know, I'd love to hear from older people if there are any listening or if you've got a family member. Are they still very fearful about going out? And is, is there anything um, what you think can be done to encourage people to go out? But it certainly was good to hear the chief medical officer yesterday encouraging people uh, to go out. And I know I was talking to, to John Paul in the office and we, and we were hoping to do something on that uh, with one of the advocacy groups for older people just to encourage people that it is, you know, you are, Michael's right, you are vaccinated, boosters, and there's very low levels of COVID-19 out there at the moment. And even if, God forbid, you were to pick it up, the fact that you are vaccinated, you, you, you will have a level of uh, protection. It's a very different world to the world that we had this time three years ago when we had our first COVID case. 0818-103-103. Now, we've also, by the way, had a number of calls in this week and people having their concerns around gorse fires and are we ever going to see an end to gorse fires? But I'm reading in the Echo uh, this morning a piece by Donal O'Keefe who said since last weekend, Cork County Council's fire service responded to 71 gorse or vegetation fires. Now, obviously, they were primarily in the West uh, Cork area. I know I had some commentary in yesterday was from the Kerry area. They had a number of gorse fires as well. But this is just in the West Cork area. All six West Cork fire brigades, that's Bantry, Castletown Bear, Skull, Skibbereen, Dunmanway and Clonakilty, all of them have been involved this week in fighting gorse fires since last Friday. Now, it's mainly in the Bantry area, along the Mizzen Peninsula, the Sheep's Head Peninsula, the Beira Peninsula and into Tregumna. In that time, crews from outside areas had to come in. McCroom, Bandon, Mill Street, Carrigaline, they all responded to gorse fires. And long into Tuesday night and Wednesday morning of this week, there was crews from Skull, Bantry, Dunmanway and Castletown Bear Fire Brigades. They were fighting huge gorse fires in the Goline, Doris and Iries area. And a spokesperson now for Cork County Council told the Echo that the fires put a very serious strain on the council's resources. They say that fighting some of the fires uh, was very protracted due to a combination of strong winds. There was very dense vegetation. There was also difficult terrain in some areas uh, and some of the calls that they had to respond to due to the size of the fire and the amount of land that was involved in the the fire. And because of that, it required the attendance of multiple brigades. Fire brigades have worked tirelessly to protect multiple homes from the fires and to minimise the spread of the fire into local forestries. Such fires can draw, of course, important fire brigade resources away then from responding to other emergencies. And the spokesperson said that since the current space of gorse fires, which kicked us off last Friday, and I'm assuming that there's a space of them because they were trying to, the farmers who were uh, lighting the gorse fires were, and landowners were trying to get them done before the 1st of uh, March. But while the firefighters were fighting those particular gorse fires, 
brigades then from across the county were also responding to other incidents, uh, you know, including things like road traffic accidents. Obviously, there was domestic fires going on. They have to go out and assist on ambulance uh, calls. It can be car fires. You know, there's, there's all of the other normal calls, if you want to call them, that the fire brigade have to respond to. But as I say, I assume that it, it, things got a bit frantic over the weekend was because from yesterday, which was the 1st of March, it's now, of course, illegal for landowners to burn off scrub or vegetation from the land. So I, I, am I right in thinking that that's what happened at the weekend? People were trying to get as much of the scrub burnt off before that deadline of the 1st of March uh, kicked in. And the spokesperson for Cork County Council said that under the Wildlife Act, lighting gorse fires between now and the end of August is illegal and if you're thinking about doing it you'll be liable for prosecution and they also want to remind people it's diverting firefighters away from other emergencies and and, and of course it's putting firefighters' lives at risk as well particularly when they get into areas where you know very dense area of vegetation and the terrain is, is very difficult but certainly Tuesday into Wednesday morning uh, seemed to have been quite a busy busy night for, the, for our firefighters and uh, keep safe that's all we can say to all of our firefighters. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Community employment vacancies are available. It's for general operatives for the maintenance of amenity areas in the Newmarket and Canturk areas 087 686 2013. A general operative is wanted for construction site in Rathcormac. It's to carry out housekeeping on site and to help with the trades. Uh, email CVs please to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. Part time bookkeeper is wanted for a busy agricultural garage. That's in the Dunamore area, 087 233 7348. And Blue Pool Veterinary Clinic, they're in Canturk. They're looking for a full time receptionist. CVs please to eoflynnvet at gmail.com or you can call Blackpool Veterinary Clinic 086 165 3030. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now my next guest is yet another mother who has been forced to set up a GoFundMe page campaign to get her daughter the treatment that her daughter so urgently needs and to find out why Bantry mother Catherine Cullen uh, joins me this morning. Good morning to you Catherine. Good morning. And you're very welcome to the programme now. It's your, you. your it's your daughter Meg and your daughter Meg is aware that we're, we're talking about her and yes. is aware of this uh, GoFunding campaign but I suppose I need you to explain what has happened to Meg and and where, where and why you find yourselves in the situation you're in at the moment. When did Megan start to develop pain and talk to me about what initially happened. Um, she cut her finger in a car door 11 years ago. Now, under different circumstances, it would have been sorted, but it wasn't. I couldn't do it. I didn't know about it for two years. That was so bad. So nine years ago, I ended up, as soon as I found out it was bad, I brought her straight to the hospital. So she's been in and now having operations the whole lot trying to fix it. And then we discovered that nobody told her that she has a thing called CRPS. Now, what is it's, CRPS? It's Critical Regional Pain Syndrome. So it's actually to do with the nervous system. 
So with them operating, it made it worse because the nerves seem to keep growing. And they're looking for a place. The way it was described to it was that they're actually drunk. Our nerves are drunk. But but 11 years ago, she was getting into a car, getting out of a car, which has happened to, I, I got to clearly remember it happening to myself, and the door closed on, on her hand. Was, 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 it, was this, it was a simple thing like that that it, happened. Yeah, that's it. Simple as that. And then that led to this chronic regional pain syndrome. Yeah. In all of her hand or, in, or just her fingers are where in the hand, Catherine? Well, it's in her index right finger and it, it spreads like it's spreading to the palm of the hand as well. But that's not as bad as the finger. But it's, ner- so it's ner- and anyone who suffers with nerve pain will yeah. tell you it's chronic. Yeah, after shingles, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dreadful. Yeah. So, p- p- I mean, was she offered pain relief? Um, well, what they said was they gave her nerve blocks. And then when we discovered this, that she had the COPS, you're not, the only time to touch the part of the body that has it is to actually amputate. So the more they try doing this, doing that, doing the other with it, the worse it got. So when she did ask why wasn't she told about it and why did they keep operating, they said, well, that's the way it is. And basically, that's it. So, so how many operations did she have? Oh, God. You know, off the top of my head, I don't know, but she had a good few. And would, would, was she getting any relief following no. the operation? No, no. No, any time she came back after the operation, I was waiting and I'd say to her, Meg, how's the pain? And she'd say, Mass was. And, and then, I was, sorry, I was the one saying to her, go for the op because, you know, it has to help. They wouldn't be doing it otherwise. But then we discovered they shouldn't have touched it. And was she taking a lot of pain relief medication at the same time? Um, she was at the time. She was on sleeping tablets, pain relief. I mean, unbelievable amount. You know, two won't work, so she took an extra one and I went on and on. And then that's when she decided to take the finger herself. Now, this is, this is the extreme part of this story. Yeah, yeah. As best you can, Catherine... Tell us what Meg did. She went out to the shed and with a tool, she took her own finger off. So I came down the stairs and I just heard her say, Ma, I did it, I did it. I thought, oh my God. So I rang an ambulance. She went up to the hospital. Um, they said to her, yeah, we're going to take the whole lot off. What's left, the whole lot off. She woke up and it wasn't off. So... Um, from then on in, what happens is there's no padding around the bone. So the bone keeps trying to get through. She's a permanent infection in it. And the nerves are just gone mad. So she's back to stage one. She was good after the after the taking it off herself. But now she's just gone back. She's a permanent infection in it. The bone's trying to come through. You know, I'm tearing my hair out trying to think, how can I help her? You know, it's her birthday next Thursday. She's the big trio and she doesn't want to do anything. I'm, I, I'm trying to put myself into her mindset, Catherine, that mm. the pain was that bad. Yeah. That she chopped her own finger off. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. And like she was clever because she, she was after tourniquet the whole lot. Like she knew exactly what she was doing. There was no blood, there was no nothing. 
by the time the ambulance people came, they couldn't believe the way she was after doing it. But she now needs a further operation to remove the, the stump that's left. Is, 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 am I right in saying that? Yeah, what they're going to plan is to actually take the knuckle, the whole lot down, right down. And um, so they take the bone. So it looks like as if she never had a finger, basically. Um, they will then, uh, the two main nerves, they put them in and through. I don't know what they do with them, actually. They put them somewhere anyway, and they actually put a cap on the top of them to stop them growing. Do you know, that's where the main pain is coming from, is the nerves. And that will end Meg's pain? Well, she'll always have a little bit, but it's going to be culpable. Where When you see your daughter and she's in the bathroom, physically sick, day and night, she's crying. I mean, it's very upsetting to see her like that. Do you know, what can I do for her? I'm just, I'm, I'm trying our best. Does she get any respite from the pain? Does anything give her relief? No. no. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. No. She sit there at night, she has bits of Lego, she tries to keep her mind occupied with the Lego, but then she ends up, she has to stop after a few minutes. She has no relief whatsoever. So, I mean, it could be two in the morning, I hear her getting up, getting sick, and that's all down to pain. That's, that's hard for a mother to watch, Catherine. Yeah, very, very hard. Yeah. I mean... Like, when I said I was going to do this, I started it off before I told her. And her attitude, why would people donate to her? So she's only, she's only Meg, like, do you know? Yeah. And she was afraid then, because every time she gets close to getting help, something happens and she doesn't. And you, do you, know? you have a private hospital that's willing to do it? Yeah. Now, that was a year, was it a year and a half or two years ago we went up? And um, he's willing to do it. He's a specialist in the nervous system. How much so, will it cost? Well, 
we're saying because it's five and that we're going for like 25, 30. By the time she gets up, she needs a pain specialist for four days. Then she's going to have to get aftercare. She's in the hospital for four days, private hospital for four days. Do you know? So whatever I make, I'm if I make anything, I'm just going to offer it to him and say, look, can you do it? Do you know? If I get five grand, ask, can I, is there any way he can do it for that? I, don't, I honestly don't know. And Catherine, what changes are you seeing in your beautiful daughter since all of this started? Uh, she doesn't go out. She doesn't laugh as much as she used to. Me and her used to go out every so often and we'd be not to laugh and that's gone. She's no friends. Absolutely no friends whatsoever because I suppose they got fed up with her saying, oh no, I can't go out, I can't go out. Do you know? She got a dog from the rescue, that's about, that's her life, owned a dog. I assume she doesn't work. She can't work. No, she can't. She does a rescue, I think it's one day a week, uh, in a dog place. But the reason why she does that is she said for her mental health. It makes her, her stump worse, but mental health is much better. And you is, know, is it is the stump very sensitive if it touches off anything, um, Catherine? Well, like even having a share, she has a lapped up permanently. I have to go in and wash her hair because she can't have it near the water. She can't have it near the heat. She can't have it near the cold. Do you know, that's how sensitive it is. She can't wear a glove on her hand. I ended up knitting her. I'm partially sided, but I know how to knit. And I knitted a big glove for her hand. I mean, she can't put on a bra. I have to go in and close it. She can't do it. Yeah, and it, and if she can get if she can get the stump and and the nerve that needs to be done, the work on the nerve done, um, hopefully she can regain some kind of a normal life. You, you yeah. know, a normal life, and maybe get back, get to get out to work, start socialising yeah. again, have have friends uh, again, have a life. Yeah, yeah. You know, she hasn't got a life at the moment, and she hasn't for the last nine years. And this all goes back to a simple enough of a, a car door closing on her hand was the start yeah. of it all. I reckon it's because she wasn't allowed to get medical um, treatment at the time. No, it wasn't. It wasn't me at all. Like I knew nothing for two years. I knew she got it in the door, and I knew it was very painful. But you thought she'd, that it'll pass. It'll be fine. It'll be. Yeah, you know, should we all cut our fingers? Yeah, it'll be. It's, it's bruising. Yeah, it'll it'll be yeah. fine. And I, I'm still thinking of going out to the shed and, and God help her cutting off her own finger. When? How long ago was that, Catherine? By the way, that was four years ago, the fifteenth of March. No, February. Sorry, fifteenth of February. Um, four years ago. Since she amputated the finger herself. Yeah. Oh, so, she's had a long You can imagine battle. my shock when I walked in. Yeah. You know, I was sick, physically sick. But you have to keep it calm. Everything, the calmer you stay, I always say, the better you are. Do you know? But so it shows just, the pain she was in. Yeah. Who would yeah. even consider doing that unless you're in... So much pain. Yeah. Yeah. OK, oh, OK. T- you've got a, a GoFundMe page that you've called uh, what? Oh God! I was afraid it's, you'd ask. No, me. no. I think it's it's Meg minus stump equals life, and that's, that's it. and that's yeah. exactly what it is. If she can that's get this it. stump removed, 
uh, it will equal some kind of life. And um, if, you, if people want to check that out, it's on the uh, on Go, it's on GoFundMe page. Uh, Catherine, we'll keep in contact um, Thank you so w- uh, with you. Pass on our best wishes to Meg. It's it really is a heartbreaking uh, story, and yeah. and you're a great mum. You're you're a great mother wow. to to and and no mother would want to see their child in in pain. It's just no. It's it's horrible. It's horrible. No, it's absolute disgrace to leave her like this. It really is bad. You know. Okay. Look after yourself, and we'll Thank keep in contact. So Take care. Take That's care. Fine. That is uh, Catherine Cullen joining us from Bantry about her daughter, Meg, who suffers from something that I have to say, chronic regional pain syndrome. It just sounds absolutely horrific. And to be living constantly with that pain in the indexed finger to the point that this young woman decided to amputate her own finger. Wow. 0818-103-103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. We're off to Bandon Garda Station for this week's uh, Garda Fiber. I'm joined by Garda Francis Murphy. Uh, good morning to you, Francis. Good morning. And, and you, you're welcome. We start you. this morning with help with a burglary that happened in Middleton. Patricia, yeah. Um, this was an incident that occurred in the Middleton area where there was, um, it occurred in a half-built house that was having work done on it. Um, there was a Velux window and the garage door was smashed. So there was quite a substantial amount of tools taken from the garage and from the house also. Um, I suppose it's just something I'd like to bring to people's attention is just the importance of if you are building a house just to make sure you have it, you know, fenced off, maybe a lock on your fencing, the importance of, you know, sensor lights, possibly CCTV um, and, you know, signage just to cover yourself as well that it's private property and that no one has access yeah. permission to have access to the same. Yeah, you, you would think that a house that's be, been constructed, that everything, that stuff would be left alone, but it won't. If they want to target it, they'll they'll target it. Now, fraud and economic crime, I don't think we, there's a week goes by that we're not reporting it on the the Garda file. Um, you have a, a, a case to tell us about. This isn't from the Skull area. That's correct, uh, Patricia. Yes, unfortunately, fraud and economic crime aren't going away. Um, in this case, there was a male... Um, alleged that there's quite a substantial amount of money taken from his account without his permission. He hadn't left his home in West Cork. The money was taken out in um, a different country. Um, so what I would say to people is, you know, check your card, check your accounts regularly. Um, this man caught it straight away and reported it to his bank, but. Some of us are guilty of not checking our accounts regularly and I think it's very important that we should do this. And any suspicious activity, you just you immediately get onto your bank? Onto your bank and report it to the guarantee as well. And obviously block your card. You know, most banks now have online, most people have online banking that you can freeze your card there and then. Okay, all right. And just be careful where you're using your card and how you're using your card and that there's nobody looking over your shoulder when you're taking money out of your card and all the usual advice that that we gave, it all remains in place. Now, there was another burglary this time in the Dunmanway area. Dunmanway this time, Patricia, yes. 
again, this was um, an unoccupied house. This was reported by a lady that uh, we believe that the, the garage window was left open and this could have been used for the culprits to gain entry into the house. Um, we're not sure what items were taken as of yet. We're waiting on that. But again, it's back to leaving doors unlocked, windows unlocked, giving them the opportunity to get in easier. So we need to deter this from happening. So again, I can't stress enough how important it is to have sensor lights, CCTV, you know, lock up everything, don't leave anything open so that they can gain access easier. And let people know if your property is going to be vacant for a period of time? Yeah, we'll always say this to people, whether it's a, a vacant house or someone has been deceased or if you're going on holidays, you know, let the neighbours know that the house is going to be empty and there's no harm in just look your notifying your local guardie as well they can document the fact that the house will be vacant and you know passing patrols can be carried out because there was a, a theft of coal and this was actually from I, I'm assuming an unoccupied house because it's a holiday home in Skull yeah this is a holiday home down in the Skull area um, the owner of the house just realised that six bags of coal have been removed from the rear of his house you know, again, I suppose fuel prices are going up, the mm. cost of living in general is going up, and leaving coal or anything like that, easy access, it can be tempting for people. So again, lock away everything, don't leave anything visible, tools, coal, anything, you know, even bicycles, all of that, just keep everything out of sight and locked away. And and more than likely opportunistic, somebody passing saw the coal, God, I'll have a few bags of that and just grabbed it. It's, it's possibly that that's what happened. Possibly. Yeah. And, you know, it could be visible from the road and that's why, you know, someone realised that it's there and it's not going anywhere and that the house was vacant so they took the opportunity. OK, it always upsets me to hear when an elderly person has been uh, scammed or money uh, taken from them. And uh, you've got details of something that happened to an elderly man in the Yall area. Yeah, this is this is a, a sad um, incident, really. Um, there was an elderly main, male walking along, minding his own business, but he was um, approached by an unknown female who stated that she was lost and cold. Um, she befriended him and he felt sorry for her and they walked together for a while for a few minutes and she then took advantage and removed a large quantity of cash from his pocket and ran off. It's just awful, isn't it? It's just, and and that poor elderly man so trusting, trying to help another human being and then she could turn around and do that. Yeah, and I suppose, look, I always kind of say to people, anyone in general, be very careful, you know, when you are going to the post office or the credit union or the bank withdrawing money or from the ATM, you know, be careful where you're doing it. Immediately put the money into your pocket. Only draw out cash if you need it for something. You know, don't be keeping cash in the house and don't be carrying large amounts of cash in your person or in your car. Yeah, because you'll be, you can have somebody watching you and you wouldn't even realise that you're being watched. But that's a, a mean, mean uh, crime and hopefully that elderly man is, is OK. Now, an, a scam that I haven't come across before, this is to do with e-flow. This is the tolls, isn't it, when you're paying your tolls? 
yes, these sort of tools. Um, anyone that has used them will know, you know, you have so much time to pay it, but we've, it's been brought to our attention, not in the West Cork area yet, but in a, a neighbouring district where a lady received a message saying that she owed three euros 20 cents for a toll charge and to follow the link to pay what she owed. Unfortunately, she did follow the link. She clicked on it and there was 8,000 euros <sighs> taken from her um, her bank account. Oh, goodness me. And of course, again, with all of these scams, they'll send out tens of thousands of these texts in the hope that somebody who has recently been on a tolled road will think, oh God, I thought I'd pay that, maybe I didn't, and will click on it. Yeah, and people will, you know, they'll get a panic when they see it. They don't want to be paying more. So I'd say that's what happened with this lady, unfortunately. She um, had used the, the toll. So, as you said, they'll send out thousands and if they only get one or two, that click the link. That yeah. keeps them happy. Yeah, yeah, uh, shocking. Now, lasers, uh, laser attacks, we've seen this in Dublin, particularly Dublin Airport, with flights being cancelled, flights being delayed, uh, because it fools out uh, using um, um, drones. But we've, we've, we've heard of, of lasers being used as well. And it's not something we often report about here on our Guard the File. Uh, but there was a, a laser attack on a helicopter. Yes, um, very unusual for down this part of the country and hopefully it was a once-off incident, Patricia. Um, there was a search and rescue helicopter returning from a training session and as it went over kind of the Balneen Bandon area, uh, the pilot reported to the Cork uh, Airport Control Tower that there was um, somebody with a green laser um, had hit, basically hit the helicopter now, there was no one injured. You know, the pilot didn't have to take any action. Uh, he reported it to the tower, which in turn came to the Gardaí. Luckily, nobody was injured, but, I mean, it's it's not acceptable behaviour. Yeah, people just, it's utter stupidity. Utter stupidity. If that helicopter had crashed, somebody, you know, people could have been killed. Uh, it really is shocking. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And we have one of our texters who is in McCroom, Elaine Sheehan. Good afternoon, Elaine. Hello, how are you? I'm very good. You were listening out all morning for The Sun Always Shines on TV. I was, yeah, and I was straight in there the minute I heard it. Well done, well done. Okay, I've got to ask you a very quick question. Where's my question sheet? Here it is. Okay, Thursday's question. What is the main currency in Mallorca? Is it euros or is it the New Zealand dollar? (laughs) (laughs) It's the euros. It absolutely is the euros. So you'd have you'd have to put a few euro together in order to to spend on the holiday. Would you be able to do that, Elaine, if you want? I'm sure we can manage that all right, yeah. Okay, now gotta find out, are you free on the sixth of June? I uh, can be, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll find out tomorrow uh, after two. Make sure you've got your phone on tomorrow after two because you could be getting a call from Nick Richards. And if you do get a call tomorrow, it means you are going to Mallorca. Who would you bring with you, Elaine? Oh, I don't know. I'd say there'd be a couple of people fighting fighting for that position. Well, that could be a fun, fun fight that you have on your hands tomorrow. We'll leave that with you. All right, Elaine, congratulations and thank you for sending that text. 
Thanks a million. Good afternoon to you, Elaine Sheehan in McCroom, our latest qualifier for the C103 uh, summer getaway. We've given away holiday to Salou, holiday to Lanzarote. This is the final week, though. We've got one holiday left to go. It'll be given away tomorrow. It's a holiday for two in Mallorca. So the that song that I just played, The Sun Always Shines on TV, aha, it will be played again today. I guarantee you that more than once, I'm telling you, it'll be played today. So stay tuned to Nick and stay tuned to uh, Martina uh, after that for your chance and you could be like Elaine in McCroom qualifying uh, today and getting a step closer to getting that call tomorrow from Nick and winning your holiday to Mallorca. 0818103103. John Paul continues to take your calls. We are looking for pet questions, please. If you have uh, any pet questions, uh, get those in to us because Jane Pickett will be joining us later on in this hour. Let me take a look at some of your texts and commentary that's coming into the programme. We had been talking earlier about the high cost of electricity and this is because people are starting to get shockingly high electricity bills, even with the €200 euro energy credit that the government have been uh, handing out. And there's one more €200 euro energy credit to come after this uh, bill. And then people are starting to worry that if the bills stay as high as they are, a lot of people are going to be in a bit of a pickle. Eleanor in Carrigaline uh, is on about the free electricity units that are given to old age pensioners. She said there's an illusion out there, says Eleanor, that all old age pensioners get completely free electricity. That is not true. They get an allowance but it's very, very little. Elaine said a lot of people will not realise it's one euro and seven cent per day. Is it as low as that? And it doesn't even include the standing charge. So when people are hearing about old age pensioners and the huge bills that they're getting, and we focused on two of them today, uh, the two actually old age pensioners from County Meath, one with the electricity bill of 1,600 euro for two months and the other was the 100 year old woman with the nearly 1,000 uh, euro, both of them old age pensioners. And people were saying, you know, they don't get free electricity. They get a very small amount of free electricity, but it's as little as that one euro and seven cent per day, which isn't going to take a lot off an electricity bill. I mean, because if you think about it, most electricity bills are for about 60 days. It's a two month period. So all it will do is take a little over 60 euro from an old age pensioner's electricity bill. So thank you for that, Eleanor. And it's good to point it out because people are, I think you are right, people are under the illusion that old age pensioners get free, totally free electricity and they don't. Still getting in lovely texts wanting to wish Deputy Holly Kearns who joined us earlier today uh, for her first radio interview since she took over as leader of the Social Democrats and a lovely message in from Maura to say great to hear Holly Kearns on your programme today. She really is a breath of fresh air. I hope she won't get lost in the machine that is Irish politics says Maura. Yeah and you'd hope not and you would worry about um, a young female going forward because and I did mention that in the interview when I spoke with Holly earlier on when you look at other world leaders Jacinda Ardan in New Zealand and closer to home Nicola Sturgeon from uh, Scotland and both very able capable uh, women and it just literally all got too much and it's it's in particular the online abuse and attacks that they get. And even Leonie Rieda from, from Sinn Féin, who had been an MEP and there was talks 
that she was going to run in Cork North West on the Cork North West ticket for the next general election. But she came out this week and said, no, she is completely withdrawn from uh, politics. And, you know, she talks about the vicious world of uh, politics. So she's another person. And of course, she went through a presidential election. And I don't know what it is in this country, but presidential elections are perhaps the most vicious of all of our elections. I can never understand. They are really targeted at individual people and the personal attacks on people. It's, it's just, it's, it's shocking how anyone puts themselves forward for a presidential election. And of course, we're going to have one coming up in the next number of years uh, as well. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a tough Politics is not an easy job. And I know we were talking about the rise in the extra 2% that politicians got. Yesterday, there was a pay increase for all public servants, which included members of the uh, Oireachtas. And I've, I've said it before. And they will, you know, politicians themselves will say they're well paid. But for God, for the abuse that they can take, you wonder, even with the well paid wage packet that comes in, is it worth it? 0818-103-103. On high bills coming in, this is to do with, this is a, a good piece of advice for anyone with telephone bills. And we're all kind of watching our bills now and trying to cut corners wherever we can and try to save money wherever we can. Uh, Sheila says, when you're talking about bills and high tariffs, etc., for years and years, my landline and broadband combined, the bill was coming in just under €200 Euro a month. And I happened to be chatting to a friend who said, you really need to look at that and look at what kind of a contract you're on at the moment. So I said I'd double check. So I got on to, I think it's Air. Was it Air? She said she was with. Um, anyway, I've, I double checked and, oh no, she doesn't say what provider she's with. Double checked with her provider. And yes, there was a much cheaper tariff that she could be on. Uh, and Eureka, my bill went from €196 Euro per month down to €40. Euro, and that happened overnight by simply making a call. And that kind of ties in with, you know, when we talk with switcher.ie and bonkers.ie who constantly tell us to keep an eye out on when your contract is up with your electricity provider, with your phone provider, with your TV provider. And every single, most of them are one year contracts. Every single year you should be going back to the market, either go back to your own provider to see if they can do a better deal for you. But it's like it's letting the contract roll over and, and almost being out of contract. That's where the really high bills and and Sheila you're not on your own there's probably a lot of people listening to me now hearing your text saying yeah I've been with the same company for years I've been paying the same bill for years and if you have been paying it for years it means you're well out of contract and you certainly can switch to another provider and for a phone it's probably one of the easiest things to do you don't even notice it except that you'd be getting much cheaper bills in and same with electricity when you're switching over I know uh, we talk about switching over mortgages that's a much more complicated procedure but certainly switching phone provider our electricity provider, our gas provider has been made very, very easy and there are a lot of savings to be made and with the rising cost of living more and more people are trying to save and if you can save on a bill that's coming in every month then certainly it's it's worth the call. Thanks for sharing that with us, uh, Sheila, to 86 103 Earlier on, I read an email out from Alison, one of our listeners, who was uh, talking about the loss of her beautiful mother during COVID and how heartbroken the family is because the mother died on her own and now looking at the medical files and, and you know and there's so many questions that they need answers to and they're very much uh, hoping that the inquiry that will 
kick off in the middle of the year about what happened during COVID times, particularly in nursing homes. We'll give them some answers. Hi, Patricia. My heart really goes out to that poor woman who lost her mother during COVID times. May her beautiful mother rest in peace. Yes, definitely. That woman and her family needs answers regarding her mother's care. I can't understand why so many things just get brushed under the carpet in this uh, country. And that's what I'm really hoping won't happen with COVID, that they will face up and fess up and realise, yes, we did make mistakes. We, at the time, we did things we thought we were doing, doing the right thing. We're now accepting that we didn't do the right thing. We could have done better. And let's learn from it so that if there's another pandemic or another emergency going forward, we can learn from, from the mistakes. Because what I don't want to see happen is things like the mother and baby inquiry, inquiry years and years later, the state accepts that what was done to women who weren't married, who became pregnant and who ended up in mother and baby homes. What was done to them was wrong. The women that went into Magdalene laundries, there had to be, you know, apologies made by the Taoiseach of the day to those women for the wrongs that was done to them. I certainly don't want to think that in many years to come, a future generation of politicians will be getting up in the doll and the future Taoiseach will be getting up in the doll and apologising to the families who lost loved ones during COVID. That's why the inquiry that they're talking about, it must be transparent, it must be independent, it must be open, it must be frank. And some of the questions that are going to get answered are going to be very, very painful indeed. But those questions, we need the truth and the families need the truth. So as the, you know, Alison who contacted us, she just needs some kind of closure on the loss of her mother. And she'll only get that closure if she gets the answers to the questions that she has and why something was done a certain way for her mother or why something wasn't done a certain way for her mother. 0818 103 103. Now here is a pretty distressing text. Let's see if we can offer advice to this listener who says, please, please don't read out my name because I certainly don't want to be identified. Uh, Patricia, I have a query. I hope some of your listeners may be able to help. A first year secondary school pupil has confided in me that she has been sent vile pictures and videos by a fellow classmate, which has upset her terribly and has now been asked to forward pictures of herself to this same classmate. She's asked me not to tell her parents, but I really am disgusted and very sickened by this and don't really know what is best to do. She was a lovely, shy, respectful girl. But to be honest, since all of this has happened, she's gone very distant of late. Please help. So we're going to throw that open to, for, for listeners to give advice to this listener, as I say, doesn't want her name uh, mentioned for obvious uh, reasons. Um, I'm, my first thing is I, I can understand you don't want to break this young girl's confidence. And, and her privacy and in that she has confided in you and doesn't want you to tell her parents. But I really do think her parents need to be told. I mean, she's a first year student. So what is she, 12, 13, 13, at most 13? Her parents need to know what she has been sent. I mean, obviously, the fact you say you're sickened by it, you've seen these vile pictures and uh, videos. And OK, if you don't, want to go down the route of telling the parents could you sit with her and explain to her that her parents need to know because her parents need to be able to help her and protect her because certainly the school 
100% the school needs to be informed because you can be guaranteed that if this your this young girl has been sent these photographs by this classmate, you can be guaranteed there are other classmates that have been sent similar vile pictures and videos and some may become so intimidated by them that they may put themselves into the position that they send on photographs, intimate photographs of themselves. And you certainly don't want that to be happening. So I I really, my gut tells me her parents need to be told. And I know she's confided in you. I think if you can, if you don't want to do it behind her back, go to her and say, look, we have to talk to your parents. I'll go with you. I'll sit with you when when you talk to your parents and tell your parents. And then I think the next port of call, certainly for the parents, is that the school has to be contacted about those pictures and uh, videos. If anybody has advice for our listener, I'd love to hear from you. 0818 103 103. Or maybe you've been in a similar situation with your own son or daughter. Are you heard of somebody in a similar situation? What is the best way to handle it? But am I right in saying that this young first year student, like 12, 13 year old, her parents need to know what has been sent on, on the phone? Because certainly you're already seeing a change in this young, lovely, shy, respectful girl and how distant she's got. I mean, the effect it must be having on her, on her mental health. So she needs help and she needs support uh, to get through this. Your thoughts welcomed 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. The popular annual Daffodil Day quiz will be held tonight in Albert's Bar in Mallow at half past eight sharp. Tables of four, 40 euro to enter. Great prizes and spot prizes. All support to be gratefully appreciated. And of course, all money raised from Mallow uh, Daffodil Day goes to Marymount Hospice. Blarney and District Historical Society are having an illustrated lecture. It's entitled Spike Island's Republican Prisoners 1921. Guest speaker Tom O'Neill. It's on tonight at 8 in Blarney Secondary School. All are welcome. There's a charge of €4 Euro for non-members. Kildarri Community Development are holding their weekly lotto draw. That's this afternoon at four in the community office. They've got a jackpot of €7,500. And the Canturkin District Community Council have asked us to congratulate their February Person of the Month winner. And it's Jim O'Connor who's been honoured for his many years of voluntary work at Canturk GAA Club and other voluntary groups. And best of luck to students of Colosh de Mwira in Buttevant. They will walk 114 kilometres of the Camino in June to fundraise for Cleaners Foundation who provide financial help to people in crisis caring for a child with a life-limiting illness. To help them fundraise for this great cause, they're holding a coffee morning in Horgan's Bar in Buttevant. Tomorrow morning, starting at half past ten, please support. There will also be a raffle on the day. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Okay, some of your commentary coming in, um, responding to the listener who's looking for help and advice because a young 
First year student has confided in her that a classmate has sent her on vile pictures and uh, videos which has upset her so much and have, and this classmate has asked this young girl to forward pictures of herself on to uh, the classmate. Uh, some of your thoughts on that. Um, hi Patricia, the parents have got to be told along with Angarda Shiakona about this person as the person needs to be sh- needs to be stopped and should be taught a lesson. The book needs to be thrown at him. It's absolutely sick. Uh, Mary says, please let this, gir- parent, this girl's parents know before it goes any further. I'm a parent. I've been there with my daughter. It's not easy, but the parents must absolutely be told. Hi Patricia, the parents, the school and the Gardaí all need to be told directly. That pupil needs to be reprimanded, says Bernie, and needs to be reprimanded immediately. Somebody else says, what a brave girl to at least confide in somebody else. Please God, she will agree to go to her parents and to the to the school with her wonderful friend. Can I wish her the best of uh, luck? Michael says, hi Patricia, on that young girl who's received the vile pictures and videos, I agree with you. Her parents need to be made aware of what is happening. The friend going to tell them with her, as you suggested might be a big help as I think the school will also have to be informed about this as they'll need to take steps to get the child who's sending them help as well as clearly they have issues too. She has my heartfelt sympathy says uh, Michael. Thank you for that. So a lot of people along that vein I think everyone is of the same view that I'm of that while this young girl has confided in this other um, trusting adult but the parents have got to be told and even though it's very difficult difficult for the young girl because she's probably embarrassed about the videos and, and you know the footage that's on her phone but her parents definitely have to be told. Somebody else says Patricia bring in a law that no smartphones should be allowed to under 18s it will stamp out a lot of this and actually I saw today uh, TikTok and TikTok of course is huge with uh, particularly teenage boys and girls and I was reading today that uh, teenage TikTok users are to be limited to one hour per day of screen time. Now it'll be done by default and TikTok of course is owned by a Chinese uh, company and they're now bowing to pressure over social media addiction. TikTok is to set, now it is an optional 60 minute limit for account holders who are under the age of 18. Although it can be switched off, teenagers who do so then will be sent daily warnings and advised to keep a self-imposed limit, particularly if they're spending more than 100 minutes on the app a day and seemingly with addiction to TikTok it is well within the realms of possibility that young people will spend more than 100 minutes a day on the TikTok app. TikTok users are able to scroll through this is for people who don't know what it is. It's a limit, limitless, limitless number of, they're like little short video, videos, they're sketches, they're dance moves. It can be various kinds of very viral trends and young people absolutely love and adore the TikTok uh, app. Now, according to data from the British watchdog Ofcom, there are 5 million British 15 to 24 year old TikTok users who spend at the moment close to an hour on average scrolling the app. Now that's the average you'll have some people spending way more than that. The social media company has been adding features to control the screen time and to and the visibility for the younger app users such as making the accounts of users between 13 and 15. They're automatically made private by default and they disabled notifications at bedtimes. But some politicians are now attacking TikTok's algorithms 
and the way it's able to keep users hooked. And there was one US politician actually came out and it's called the app Digital Fentanyl as if it's if it's a powerful drug that has been given to young people. And in one blog post, TikTok's head of trust and safety, a guy by the name of Cormac Keenan, I want to see Irish, he said teens typically require extra support as they start to explore the online world independently. The social media app says it will update features that gives parents more control over their child's TikTok usage. Uh, TikTok features, for example, a family pairing mode and that's where an adult can link their TikTok account to that of their child and then they're able to see a summary of the total screen time. They can block notifications and they can remotely set uh, usage limits. But of course, as we all know, young people are so tech savvy that even if there is some kind of a limit put on it, they all know how to get around it. They all know how to switch it off. Uh, you know, and TikTok saying, oh, look, it's optional. They can turn it off, but they will be sent a daily warning. If it's only a daily warning, young people will just ignore it, particularly if they are addicted to uh, viewing TikTok. Uh, but uh, so, you know, we, we have a problem with young people when it comes to smart devices, for sure, but very much highlighted by what we're talking about today with our listener uh, and this young first year student being sent these vile videos and photographs and what what it, what is worse is the fact that the person who's sending it are now sort of almost demanding that she sends back intimate pictures and that's where it gets really really dangerous and that's where young people can get sucked in and they get are very vulnerable and you know they think they've no other choice but to do it and then we know all kinds of problems and I just it's it's the mental health of the person that I really really worry about now the original texter I've just spotted a text back in from our original listener who says thanks so much for your words of advice Patricia and those of the listeners it's a weight of my mind to have shared it I will give it some more thought as I don't want to betray her trust and hopefully she would agree uh, to me telling her parents yeah and I think what a lot of people are saying is say to her sit her down and say to her look I'm not going to tell your parents behind your back but I'm going to tell your parents with you so I can be there. You can be there then as support because I know the reason she doesn't want her parents to know, you know, obviously I'm assuming she's going to be very embarrassed about what's on the video and what's on the phone. But also young people, and I know we dealt with this before. I can't remember, was it with somebody like the ISPCA when they'd done very extensive research on young people about things like that that they saw and how many would tell their parents and how many wouldn't tell their parents and the ones who said they wouldn't tell their parents when they dug in deeper the experts asked them why they said oh that they were afraid that the parents might not blame them but might take their phone away from them or might limit their phone use in order to protect the young person. So I think, you know, you need to explain that she's not going to get into into any trouble and that the parents will see she's done absolutely nothing wrong. But what has happened to her has got to uh, stop and she needs to be looked after and minded, particularly when you're saying her, you can see it in herself that she's changing and that she's gone very distant of late. I just I just worry about her. I really do. Will you keep in contact with us though and let us know how you go on, get on because I know a lot of listeners say they're thinking about you and they're saying well done for sharing it and getting the advice and uh, please God you'll be able to get it all uh, sorted out 0818103103 and just on older people when I mentioned that they knew the CMO 
uh, came out yesterday and was saying to old people that go back out. There's a big, beautiful world out there. You don't need to be afraid anymore. You know, there's, there's very little COVID out there. You've had all your vaccinations, your boosters and get back out into the world because it's better for you physically and mentally to be out socialising. That's prompted Nancy from West Cork to contact us to say, I am one of those uh, people who haven't ventured back out into the world uh, since Nancy, along with a lot of other people, were told to cocoon in the early days. I'm finding it very difficult to get back out and to get back onto an even keel again. I'm now at the stage, said Nancy, where I simply don't want to go out anymore. I'm happy just staying at home. I've kind of gotten into the habit of staying indoors. The thought now of going anywhere is foreign to me. I don't really want to move. I don't want to go anywhere. Don't go to Mass anymore. I now watch Mass on TV. I used to go to Mass every day. I only now go once a week and that's on a Friday. And the rest of the time I just get Mass online. The phone is my link to the outside uh, world. People do call to me but the interest is just gone. It's hard to shake off this kind of almost like a lazy feeling, Nancy says, uh, that she has. We've changed our lives and now we're stuck with it. That, see, that just breaks my heart. And that's exactly what the new CMO was talking about, uh, Nancy. You're really going to have to fight through this and get back out because you're missing out on so much. And that's what's happened. You've just you've gotten out of the habit of it and you just end up, you'll almost, you, you could, I'm not saying it's, it has happened to you, but you could end up becoming very reclusive where you'll never leave uh, the house and that's that's no way to live your life. There is a big, beautiful world out there and I'm sure when you went out to Mass every day you enjoyed that. You enjoyed probably meeting other people when you went to Mass. I don't know, what, what, what did you do to socialise? Could you go back to, did you ever go to bingo? Did you have hobbies? Maybe you could take up a new hobby. Maybe there's a new group in your area that, that you could join. Could you reach out and when you say people call to you, could you say instead that you will call and see them. Do it in very small steps. A little bit like what Joe was talking about um, Tuesday when we, when we spoke about goal setting. Maybe you, you say like, for example, that you're only going to Mass now one day a week. Maybe set a goal next week that you'll go two days a week or three days a week and just do it in very small baby steps. But go out there. there it, is, it is a big, beautiful world out there. And I know you say, you've, it's almost like you've got into a rut and it's only you can get out of that uh, rut and reach out and tell people, tell, particularly the people that are calling to you. Tell them the way you're feeling and, and get the help uh, that you need. And, and I really do wish you luck uh, with it. 0818 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Couple of quick uh, calls in on electricity, the free units of electricity for old age pensioners. John and Cove says, following on that call about the units, what was it one euro seven a day or something somebody pointed out is all that the free units are worth are worth while well, they talk about this and the high cost of living I've just come back from town and I've seen a lot of old age pensioners walking out of hairdressers with great hairdos oh John and then it's time to cut is it not time to cut the free electricity units for the OAPs and give it to young couples with families and big mortgages give them a break instead is it time to re-look at what old age pensioners ref- receive from the state and redistribute it to families who are struggling. Listen, uh, I, I hate when I see pitting one group against the other. I accept, absolutely accept there are families struggling, but there's also old age pensioners uh, struggling and, you know, great hairdos. Are they not allowed to go and get their hair done, uh, John, in Cove? 
people want to respond to that. Geraldine and Dream Leaks says I got my electricity bill yesterday. It was three hundred euro. That was after the two hundred euro from the government was factored in. It would have been over five hundred euro without the uh, credit. We are really going to feel it when the bills start arriving without the two hundred euro credit from the government. I don't know what we will be doing. There is another two hundred euro credit to come, isn't there? On on the next bill, uh, Geraldine. But that yeah, that absolutely is going to be uh, the last for sure unless they can persuade the energy companies to start reducing the cost to customers but no sign of of that except for Pinergy reducing theirs but it was only by a small amount 7%. Thank you for your call to 0818 103 103. Jane Pickett of the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket uh, joining me this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're very welcome. And if anyone has questions for Jane, you can still get them into us now, please. Now, there was a lovely question in earlier, if I can find it. It's here. Hi, question for Jane, please. I have an eight-month-old pup that wakes up between 5 and 6 a.m. daily. She gets brought to the toilet at about midnight and then she's back in her crate. She yelps and barks to come out. We are exhausted. Any tips on getting her to sleep until at least 7 a.m. in the morning? Thanking you. God, this is like having a newborn baby in the house, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. I, I feel your frustration on this one. Um, OK, so if we're eight months old, we should probably be able to hold our bladder with pee overnight at this stage. And um, Sometimes in younger puppies, that's the main issue. So, you know, if they're getting you up because they want to wee outside of their den or wee outside of their crate. But that's, that's unlikely to be the issue here. It sounds like it may actually be habit that they are functioning on very little sleep. And then they're thinking, well, it's time for me to wake my humans up so I can have some fun or maybe some snacks. Um, and every time that happens, it's potentially reinforcing the behaviour. Now, we want to tread that fine line between making sure that, you know, if our pet is calling out, they're calling out for attention because, you know, we're, we're their fulfiller of needs, essentially. So we need to make sure that they are reassured and they're not left to cry for prolonged periods. But I would, I would, I would be reluctant to start trying to appease them at the 5am wake-up calls with toys or treats or big walkies outside for peas or anything like that. I would maybe just check they're okay, give them a little pat and then, you know, keep everything nice and dark and night-timey when you go down to check on them and then see if you can return to sleep. Now, this is not going to be a simple solution and may take a period of time. The one thing I would say is just make sure you keep a little eye on their urination habits during the day. If you notice that they're urinating more during the day or with more urgency, it may just be that they've got something simple like a little bladder infection and that that might be waking them up to pee extra overnight. So if you think that's the case, check it out with your vet. But if that's not the case and everything else is super, super normal, um, just perseverance really it may be worth trying to add an extra little walk into your dog's day maybe later on in the evening to kind of tire them out it's kind of like trying to tire out a toddler um, so if you can take them for a big walk or a big play later on in the evening but not super late not close to midnight because they will like every every human they'll, they'll need a little bit of time to wind down and dogs are no different but if you take them for a big walk or a big play later on in the evening so that they're a bit worn out you may find that they sleep a little bit further through the day but it's not an easy one to sort. If you're still struggling at that, it may be worth speaking to your vet about who they'd recommend as a veterinary behaviourist because look, we've all got to get our sleep and if that continues on for months and end, everybody'd be cranky. I'd be cranky if I was only getting five hours sleep. But, so uh, better but, luck with that one. But, they, but, but will the pup grow out of it? 
sometimes they can do. Sometimes it's a bit of a phase where if there's something in the routine in the household has changed, sometimes they're just their energy levels have changed a little bit. And, you know, it's a constant state of, of, of flux as they grow up and they go through those kind of juvenile and then teenage stages. And we're kind of hitting the teenage stage at okay. eight months. Um, so it is something they may grow out of, but, you know, you've got to approach it in the right way and not encourage the behaviour continuing. OK, uh, another listener has a 10-year-old Labrador. Uh, of late, the last couple of months, she's noticing stiffness in the Labrador's hind legs. Could it be arthritis? And she's wondering, should she be limiting the amount of walking that she's doing with the dog? He's a great dog to go for long walks. No, OK. Um, so it does sound like if you've noticed this kind of slow onset of stiffness in the hind legs, that would be really, really common. And by far and away, the most common cause of stiffness and, and discomfort in our older pets is osteoarthritis. But there's a huge amount that we can do to help them with that. And I think the real stalwart of our treatment of this disease is pain relief. So I would um, I would approach your vet let them know what's been happening. They'll probably need to do a physical exam. Maybe might need to do some tests if, they, if they're suspicious of something else that's not, not arthritis. But it may just be a case that your pet may need ongoing pain relief. And really, it's all about restoring their quality of life in these golden oldies, making sure they feel really comfortable. Now, there are other causes of stiffness and lameness that are a little bit more concerning. Um, lumps and bumps, particularly in older dogs, are quite a common thing. So it is important to raise it with your vet just in case there's something a bit a, a bit more worrying going on. But I would say don't hesitate to go and speak to them about getting some pain relief organised. As regards restricting exercise, you are really running a fine line. If I would say the priority is getting your pet comfortable with mm-hmm. some pain relief from your vet. And then it's a case of doing as much as they feel capable of, whether that's short, slower walks or whether that's something like hydrotherapy. But we really need to avoid cutting out all of their exercise because we need to keep their muscle tone because if they have muscle that will help their joints and help preserve their mobility for longer whereas if they become very lazy very sedentary because they're uncomfortable that can actually accelerate the process of them becoming less independent so I'd say priority is pain relief and then it's all about keeping that muscle mass going but doing it in a way that your pet feels comfortable and can cope with Okay, we seem to have the older dogs today. An ageing terrier uh, is losing his hearing. Is there anything that can be done to help? Okay, so hearing loss is actually a really widespread problem in our older patients. But it's actually very difficult for us to assess in in a veterinary environment. The best way that we can assess what hearing loss is going on is actually talking to you guys as owners about what things your pet used to perceive and react to and what the changes are now. So in, in, in the way that let's, we, let's say we can test hearing very accurately in humans, we can't really do that in the same way in dogs and cats. Um, sometimes there are simple causes of hearing loss. If we have very, very large waxy buildups in ears, sometimes clearing that um, with appropriate cleaners at your vet and with veterinary assistance can help a lot. Um, but sometimes it is just genuine hearing loss as regards the, you know, the, the, the mechanism within the ears not working effectively to take up that sound. And I think the priority in that situation, if you've been to your vet and ruled out a waxy buildup causing hearing loss, is adapting to make sure your pet is safe whilst they have reduced hearing. So the main risk to them will always be the road. So making sure that they're really secure, fenced in, off access to any road, being extra careful with cars driving in around the house so that, you know, they're not going to be able to hear. They don't have that sense. And if they're turned the wrong way, they might not see a car or a vehicle or a bike coming. Mm. So it's really just trying to adapt their home environment to make things as safe as possible for them. But they, 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 but they can live quite comfortably without the hear, with, when they lose the hearing? 
Yeah, they seem to adapt really Do well. They, yeah. I've had a death pet myself and, you know, they, they really seem to adapt very well, but it is all about keeping them safe. Yeah. There is a certain yeah. limit to, to, you know, what they can perceive, particularly with moving objects. So, you know, they get very good and they get very good into their routine. You'll you'll kind of work out your hand signals with your dog as well. You know, they'll be able to communicate their needs and likewise you will as well. But um, it's just making sure that they're safe from the cars and the bikes. OK, listen, we leave it there. Thank you for that. Have a good week, Jane. And uh, we'll talk next week at Jane Pick at the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. And that's why I've got to let you leave uh, because Nick is up next. Thanks to John Paul who produced Talk To You Tomorrow at 10. And to that, I'm Patricia Messenger. A very good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.